You're listening to the Unexpected World of Business podcast, brought to you by Henley Business School. What can a 3,000 mile ocean row teach us about resilience at work? This month's episode takes a look back at our research project with Heads Together and Row. The team of four successfully rowed the Atlantic and were the focus of a Henley study on resilience by Dr Caroline Rook. The podcast was recorded live at the research launch event here at Henley and is introduced by University of Reading Vice-Chancellor Professor Robert Vandenort. Toby, Jeremy, Alison, Justin, I just respect from me from the university and even more so because it was not just you taking on a challenge but actually being uh, the subjects of a piece of research that, that we will hear about later. So I'm, I'm really interested to, you know, how did you manage as four people you, you didn't know each other uh, that well before you started, but how you got to come together, how you survived 50 days at sea. Um, and actually, you know, set, you set the record for the mixed crew as well. So high performance coming out. Uh, and and I'm, I'm really interested to hear from Caroline Rook how you did it, what lessons were learned. Caroline, over to you. Well, also a very warm welcome from, from my side. And um, I'm very excited, actually. Um, you're, you're the first ones to hear about um, this research project that I did with the team. And thank you so much again for that opportunity. And, well, typically I look at business leaders and then people in, in workplaces and in organizations to find out how we can create high performance by creating healthy work environments. How can we develop teams so that they not only feel well, but they also perform well? So why would I study a rowing team? <laughs> um, it was a well, quite an exciting opportunity uh, for me because whether it is in the middle of a massive ocean or in organizations, what we are experiencing right now um, across the world in, in all of um, well, all of the organizations really, is basically the, this constant struggle, constant changes, this constant drive uh, for performance, and a lot of adversity happening, a lot of organizational change, a lot of um, economic impacts that we can't really control. Now, while we know a lot about what drives personal resilience, so how we make people resilient, we don't really know so much um, yet um, how to create resilient teams. And it's quite challenging, actually, to study team resilience, because what needs to happen is some adversity <laughs> uh, in order to study how um, those teams then are resilient, how they cope with this adversity and bounce back. So that's the definition of resilience. Well, with this team, I was pretty sure they were going to experience some adversity, <laughs> lots of challenges coming their way. And so what I would like to do is just to um, share with you a little bit what I found out um, about how the individual resilience developed over time. So again, um, in, in management sciences, we, we study a lot about what are the characteristics of resilient people, how can we train resilience, but then what actually happens is another question. Again, that was a great opportunity to see how personal resilience levels developed over time. Um, but of course, also how the whole team built up those, those resilience levels. So how, how did I do that? So um, basically, in order to answer the, these questions, I gave the team so-called e-diaries. So they, each of them filmed themselves um, roughly every three days and answered specific questions 
I had for, for them around their resilience levels, what challenges they experienced, how they were working as a team, and so forth. So based on, on these diaries, I could then track how the resilience was, was changing and also how the dynamics were changing. So let, let me just um, talk to you a little bit first about what resilience is. So when I first started looking at resilience, Rocky actually came to my mind. Um, and of, of course, I think there's a lot of truth um, in this. So it's not necessarily how hard you can hit, but how many hits you can take. So what is quite interesting, and that also came out in the research with the team, is the more challenges we experience, the more challenges we go through, our resilience capacity rises. We become more and more resilient. Of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that in specific challenges or in specific situations, we're always resilient, right? Now, when we think about the resilience of teams, yeah, so not just individuals. That's quite interesting because there we really focus on to what extent basically the team dynamics, the team processes and structures are able to cope with a challenge, with a shock to the system, with, with chaos and, and so forth. So it's the ability in a way of, of, of the team to still function and perform highly even though some of these processes might be disrupted, even though they might be completely annoyed with each other, or even though the roles might have changed. So, so that's really what, what team resilience is about. And again, and this is kind of the bouncing back part, what happens afterwards? Because we could also imagine a team that's quite good in that situation, kind of fending off a challenge, but they don't talk to each other anymore afterwards. <laughs> yeah, because they're not able to basically mend those relationships. So they're not able to bounce back. So, so again, these are those two components here of team resilience. And again, we don't know very much about it yet. So again, that's why I was so excited to, to work with the team because we have a lot, well, not a lot, we have a couple actually of theoretical models of what happens in terms of absorbing that strain and bouncing back, but we don't really see what, what, what's happening um, actually. So just to give you a background on, on what resilience is. So um, as you might remember, I asked them to, to basically record in their e-diaries um, every few days where they're at and in terms of their resilience levels. Um, not everyone recorded themselves at exactly the right time. That, that's why you can see that some of this differs. But I think what, what we can probably all agree on or see here is that there, well, first of all, that different people have different levels of resilience. Yeah. So one meaning my resilience is extremely low and 10 meaning it's extremely high. And what we can also see is that it kind of went up and down quite a lot throughout the race. Yeah, so, so again, this again shows us that through training the team, I would argue, build up quite high levels of resilience. But throughout the race, because of different challenging situations, different factors, it kind of dipped at times and rose at other times. But of course, that um, there were some very specific factors really that um, had, had a massive impact on the team's resilience levels. However, if we now think about extreme environments, and, and this is one example of a team in an extreme environment, so with a lot of pressure, with a lot of uncertainty, yeah, also in, in close confinement and, and, and so forth, then we could say, well, 
is, isn't there something else there? So of course, all for, for the team, and again, that came through in the diaries, pretty much all of, of this played a role, yeah? So that you all had the same goal, you were really dedicated to it, um, that there was social support and so forth. But again, if we think about extreme environments, and we could argue in organizations where experiencing more and more extreme circumstances, there are also other factors that, that play a role. So these are kind of the four that um, I, I identified as, as the key drivers in the way to, to kind of pull those resilience levels down. So, so as you could see from particularly, um, well, not just Justin's, but also Toby's um, diary uh, excerpt there, that, that sleep had a, a massive impact. And of course, sleep deprivation has um, a huge effect on our ability to concentrate and, and to, to think well, and um, also has a, a massive uh, impact on our ability to, well, manage emotions in a way, which of course is also important, uh, again, if you think about effective uh, team dynamics. Um, of course, relationships, so just think about that tiny boat <laughs> and, and the pressure that the team was under, the, the challenges uh, and, and so forth. So of course, there, there will be tensions um, between the team. And again, also thinking about how exhausted and physically demanding um, the, this, this challenge uh, was. And of course, seasickness. So we also have to think about, when, when we think about how, how to support people in developing their resilience, well, what could be external factors? Or what could be very specific aspects in, in, in the situation that will Im impair the team or the individual in, in, in performing? highly. Um, and again, given that physically it was very challenging, on top of that, having the seasickness kind of put an additional pressure there. And of course, uncertainty. Yeah, a massive ocean, something that the team doesn't necessarily do on an everyday basis in their normal jobs. Um, it being quite unpredictable, what might happen to, to them or the boat. Um, so, so and again, what does this mean for organizations? Um, seasickness might not play a massive role there, <laughs> but um, I pulled out two here and uh, they're also now being much more discussed um, again in the management literature, but, but also again in, in leadership development uh, and so forth. And, and sleep is now seen as a strategic resource for organizations. And this is particularly important because we find ourselves in a world of work now where we're connected 24-7, where we're putting in very long working hours, where some of us might have to travel quite a lot, have to travel internationally. So getting rest in a way is quite challenging. So what I put up there, techno stress, yeah, it is a new type of stress that we're researching now uh, that has a huge impact on, on people's performance level. So that's the type of stress that's created uh, through our use of uh, digital communication technology. So, so in a way, organizations really need to pay attention to the fact that giving um, their, their employees rest, might that be in terms of work-life balance um, or, well, sleep, of course, you can't say you have to sleep eight hours at night. But again, training people um, to, to really pay attention to these things is important. Uncertainty, again, is, is a key factor in, in organizations nowadays. Um, 
organizational change is happening all the time across most organizations and also with our current socioeconomic developments, uncertainty is constantly there. And again, it has been found um, not only to be a massive driver of, of stress in a way, but also, as we could also see with the team, really reduces people's ability to be resilient. So I would say these are kind of the two key pieces also for organizations or people in work to, to take away. Now, what kind of drove the highs in, in, in personal resilience um, for the team? So these spikes that, that we saw in, in our graph um, earlier. I put down here external factors. So um, there was a wonderful excerpt saying, oh, I just had my Christmas meal. It was so great, this uh, freeze-dried meal. <laughs> and that's why I feel amazing. <laughs> um, being a team, so, so again, while others can be the source of, of tension, of course, they are extremely important. And again, we see this, of course, also in, in organizations um, that others are there to give emotional support. And again, if you want to translate it to organizations, also informational support. So, so many things are changing nowadays and we cannot know everything. So just having people around you to emotionally support you, but also give you their own expertise and, and support you and help you in figuring things out is, is key here. And having completed a challenging patch. So that really came through quite clearly. Uh, and again, this is, as I said earlier, this is important in terms of developing your resilience capacity, but also really gives you the side because you say, I've done it, we've done it. We just survived a torrential storm and everything breaking at the same time, but, but we made through it, we made it through. Yeah, we learned from it and, and we are capable. So, so that really drives resilience up and, and again, in, in terms of what are the key lessons here for, for us at work and organizations. As I said, really developing teams yeah, to, to support each other and kind of celebrating those small wins or ha celebrating having gone through a challenging time is probably quite um, important. Now, I started talking a lot about the team supporting each other and so forth. So what I've come up uh, here and I know this is quite a busy slide and it's quite small, but you have this figure also in your, your research report and in there you have also a lot more quotes that really illustrate um, the findings from, from what I'm briefly introducing <coughs> to you here now. Um, so, so basically, based on existing theory, as I mentioned, on what team resilience is and what the team told me in their diaries, I kind of came up with a bit of a process model here for you, what we need to think about when we want to develop, um, well, highly resilient teams. Of course, the personal aspects are important, yeah, so that, that you have individuals that um, are resilient, yeah, that, but that's not that important. It's actually that everyone is committed to the same goal, yeah? That, that everyone is saying, yeah, we're doing this, I'm doing it, and I want to be part of this team. That really has an, an influence here. I'm not gonna go through everything in detail, don't worry. <laughs> you have all of the detail in the report, but this is the key in terms of the personal aspects. You can then see the team resilience capacity yeah, so this is basically preparing for the challenge. And what is important there is, is that you develop a team that has a high sense 
of what we call in academia psychological safety. Yeah, that um, that that is key here, so that that people feel that they can trust each other, that they they can say something that the others might not like so much, but that they're being listened to, uh, because again, this this creates their ability to really think through yeah particular issues, particular problems, maybe also becoming aware of stuff that others haven't thought about, but again, really creating this bond between the team that's so important um, to, to function during the adversity. And so that brings us to that third box over there. So, so, so the coping, so the managing adversity. And what is um, quite um, interesting there is that really, as you can see, it is the whole team working together and checking, okay, what, what is the issue here? What is our strategy? How are we gonna deal with this? Yeah, so really this team working together how to work through it. And as you can see, restoring the broken processes. So that was this important piece that kind of takes it away from just normal, effectively functioning teams. So the team saying, we are aware that we're gonna maybe shout at each other or whatever it might be, that our roles might change, but the ability to, to engage with that in, in order to, even during chaotic times, really challenging times, to keep on, on working well together. Which brings us, and again, I think it's quite an important part to the bouncing back part, and again, I think we're also managers or team leaders um, should be playing quite a big role to give the team the ability afterwards, so after the event, to learn, to think about, well, how, how did we solve this challenge? And I think you, you guys um, did that. To, but also to have some time to, to recover, yeah? to, to recharge um, your batteries again. So again, you have a lot more on this in, in, in your uh, booklet if, if you want to learn more. I just wanted to, to highlight two aspects that um, I also um, found in, in the e-diaries with the team that are particularly important to really create um, this team resilience. So first of all are the mental models of the team. Now, what does that mean? That is basically that the team understands different roles and responsibilities, but also really knowing each other. Yeah, What sets me off, what sets the others off? Um, so that when the, the adversity, the challenge hits and everything might go into chaos, that you can predict the behavior of the others. Yeah, Because suddenly you might be taking over someone else's task or role, but, but you, you know that person, you know what they, how they would usually react. The second piece, um, and again, I've, I've also put the references there and I can give them to you if you want to read more about this, um, relates more to, to emotions. So what um, past research has um, also found, but again, it's mainly theoretical, is that we can distinguish between uh, teams, whether they take a brittle trajectory <laughs> or a resilient trajectory in terms of how they deal with emotional or interpersonal issues. So a brittle trajectory would be if there's anxiety, you know, if you're experiencing anxiety or any tensions or issues, the way a team would deal with that is to step away from it and ignore it and just get on with the work, just get on with the task and say, we just need to get this done, it'll be fine, we'll just ignore it. Um, but again, what research has found, and I think that is also what came through in the diaries, that 
kind of that backfires, yeah, because the tensions just build up. So resilient trajectory, so what resilient teams do, they actually almost embrace <laughs> the anxiety. They embrace those negative emotions and work with them. And um, by embracing them, that again strengthens the team and really helps uh, the team to understand um, e each other. So, what can we take away from this? I was trying to draw some key implications for, for our quite turbulent business world uh, that, we, that we live in. So, build a secure boat <laughs> um, that, that um, you really feel you can rely on and remind people amidst this uh, scary ocean, this scary world that, that you're out there of, of our culture, of our goal, and that will keep everyone um, together. Um, support individuals to, to be resilient, and everyone might have their, their different ways of uh, lifting themselves up or coping. Again, you can read more about this in the booklet. So one size fits all probably doesn't help, but really working with individuals and of course, really support the team yeah, to create the psychological safety, which is um, so key, and to have clear roles and responsibilities that really build on everyone's strength, um, because that will really create these highly resilient and therefore um, highly performing teams. And that's it from my side. And these are my key lessons uh, or, or key insights from the research. Uh, but you're moving over into the panel now. And I'm sure uh, our four rowers have many more to share with us. I think that was really interesting. And certainly hearing it, the culmination of, of that research actually makes me question and, and take back a lot of that, that certainly I would like to take into my own workplace uh, and think and, and reflect more on what we do as a team to be resilient uh, and, and work in, in a challenging environment. Um, being involved in the research project itself um, has actually been a joy. It, it gave us the opportunity to, uh, I'm going to say it, go on that journey <laughs> where at times we got an opportunity to actually just step back a little bit think about what was happening think about what we were doing as a group and how we could or how we should uh take it on as a team um so it was really useful so i'm really glad to be a part of it i mean i <clears throat> i love being a guinea pig in any any, any <laughs> opportunity uh so yeah that was a that was a really special part of the row i mean I think just being part of the research project definitely added pressures uh, in its own right. It's really good to, to be here today and to see uh, what's, what's come of it and to see the benefits from it. And you know, we haven't seen most of that footage uh, that you've just, you've just watched with us um, today. So it's really brought back some memories. It's, it feels like a really long time since the row now. So um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it was a really good experience. Um, personal resilience levels, that's, that's one thing and yeah, you know, the fact of the matter was that nothing was was ever going to be as important as trying to get another five minutes sleep. Um, so it's kind of a kind of a, a weak apology. It feels like a weak apology now, but at the time, uh, you know, re recording our personal resilience scores, even though it's a two minute job every three days, was a stretch far too far. Um, when when at sea and in that situation, so the, those uh, the, the graph and those personal resilience scores. Um, one thing I'd say is for me at least. Uh, my personal resilience score 
as the sun was coming up, which might have been seven o'clock in the morning and then towards the end about half ten in the morning, was very high. Uh, and that was also the time that as a team, uh, we, were, we were most likely to be chatting and feeling enthusiastic and, and thinking about the day ahead and counting the miles and things. If, if, if you ask me about my personal resilience level at five in the morning, having done a whole night shift rowing in the rain, then it would have been, would have been on the floor. So, yeah, it's uh, the, the graph says something, but there's, there's still a lot more behind it still yeah. to be unpicked, I think. I think the um, boat ocean analogy that came up towards the end of the talk, for me, was particularly relevant. The, as I was in the boat and I was a maybe my horizon was about two miles the other side of the boat I could cope with that the one time that I really really got freaked out was when I widened out the GPS and just saw how bloody far away we were from land and to, to work out you're actually a thousand miles from any port or any point of land is terrifying so I think you have to focus on what you can control which is your boat and the area immediately surrounding it and the rest of it can just disappear. This is not really relevant to your current situation and you only can work on what you can control. Um, from the wider research point of view, uh, I'm not naturally a team player, to be honest. I work for myself. I work alone. The job I do requires to be, me to be alone a lot of the time. And to, finally to, finally, to suddenly find myself in a team situation was quite disconcerting to start with. Uh, but actually, um, I weirdly, having done the research, I like people slightly more I did before the row. So there you go. It's not all bad. <laughs> Even us. Well, no, yeah. it's obviously not you, obviously. I mean, not normal other people. people so, yeah. 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 Always going to be exceptions. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed um, being part of the research project. Um, I think, like Toby said, it, it did put pressure on it, um, particularly when you were feeling down or stressed and things like that. Those were the last times you wanted to then you know, talk into a, into a camera. Um, we had to do one just before we left, and I had just said goodbye to my family um, before, you know, so they left before we left. And um, Toby's like, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? And I'm like, no, I like, had tears running down my face. And he's like, now's a perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> so my first one to Caroline, I'm like sobbing my heart out. <laughs> um, so, yes, it was, it was difficult. Um, I then had, well, I was noting mine more than sort of the camera, partly because of some of the, the emotions um, and the ones I did film. Unfortunately, my, my phone um, succumbed to salt water and they, they remained lost. <laughs> so she's uh, got lots of emails from me. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it was good. Uh, my resilience definitely went up and down. Um, I could definitely tell which colour line mine was um, on that chart. Um, and I think for me, um, the toughest bit, it took me a really good 12 days, two weeks to hit a rhythm with what we were doing um, and to feel comfortable, well, more comfortable, well, slightly comfortable. Um, <laughs> and, but literally about three or four days in, you know, the first few days had been really, really long and the longevity of what was ahead just hit me. And, um, and yeah, it was just like, oh, I can't believe I've got to sit this for another five, six, seven, eight weeks. And um, yeah, that was, I just went down. But you know, once you hit a rhythm, then um, yeah, it was, it was much better. And obviously, we had challenges along the way. Uh, you're trying to work out which line is mine now, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, as, as you know, I'm only interested in my own. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, once I hit a rhythm, then then yeah, it was, there's the middle bit. I can't remember an awful lot of because you know I just got into the routine and, and stuff like that, and it was it was good. Well, there were certainly moments that 
there was a collective sense of things. So for instance, we had Christmas day a day early uh, because of external pressures, because of uh, the, the conditions. And that was a positive thing in some ways, but uh, being able to do that celebration together, but under the backdrop of having to stop making progress, obviously that was a, a bit tough. And then after that, I personally, and I think some some of the, some of the rest of the team found it difficult to start again, both physically. I think your body sort of gets into a gets into the mindset of that, that it's going to be this is the way it's going to be, and that that break made it a bit more difficult to to get going again. So I think that that was there was something around a collective experience there. Um, there were other highs and lows, but I, I think you're right. It is interesting to see that there were that, that, that it's not totally married up. Uh, I think, as sort of Toby was alluding to, those different experiences of being on different shifts uh, meant that we were probably having different experiences at different times, and uh, that was probably no bad thing. You know, you didn't have four people who were <coughs> suicidal at the same time, and um, <laughs> we were able those people who were perhaps having a better day because. They weren't on uh, the longer night hours. They'd got perhaps a little bit more rest or they, you know, for whatever reason, they were just a bit stronger that day mentally. That meant we could um, we could have different people supporting each other at different times. My lowest point, uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you how many days this is, so I'm going to say it was sort of three to seven days uh, from the start. So the first couple of days, still adrenaline, still very excited. Uh, and I think, you know, that's... Possibly when I scored my highest resilience score, I was like, oh, this is great. And it's two days in, and we're going quite fast and loving it. And we'll be there in 40 something days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then it just got terrible, and it was just the sleep deprivation and the hallucination. Actually, one of the things beforehand I was worried about in terms of my own personal mental resilience and being able to cope. Uh, was that I'd freak out with the hallucinations and, and actually I think I really enjoyed them. So <laughs> that was good. Think, thinking about uh, certain certain ways I could recreate that since I've been back. Um, <laughs> no, but but yeah, four days in or so. And I think we, we all went through this and some of us different, different uh, levels of hallucinations. And for me, it was the seasickness. And, uh, but, you know, there was a patch there where I was literally crying myself to sleep. In fact, I wasn't crying myself to sleep. I was crying into my phone while trying to write an email in the dark to uh, my son in particular, but other people, when I genuinely just thought, there is no way I'm getting to the other side of this ocean. And uh, and, and that is that is how terrible it got. And I'm pretty sure we were all quite down at the same time. That was definitely the most... Well, tell me if I'm wrong. I don't know. No, but no, but for right. me, at least, that was a, that was a real uh, down point. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. No, I think there were times when uh, this is horrible to say, but when you saw other people struggling, that you know gave me a little bit of joy. Only <laughs> 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 so far as knowing that it was you know other people were struggling, and I think that when, when you have someone who you need so to support is, is helpful. So uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure having had those conversations, I'm not the only one who really felt that way. Yeah, it was a joy to us being seasick, and I wasn't seasick. That was a particular pleasure yeah. for me. <laughs> Um, no, but I think Jez is right. You, it's nice to have someone who's kind of worse off from you so you actually can offer them support because yeah. that takes away from your own pain and misery that you're going through. I think there's so much going on in the ocean and it's, you feel so wretched most of the time that the slightest thing 
can have a massive impact on how you feel, where that's up or down. A lot of it was about coping with things that didn't happen. So I, some of it was about, uh, you know, recentering yourself and, and being able to, uh, to to cope with whatever's going on. And, and in the training for that, typically I think I just used to fall asleep. So I had that <laughs> bit down. Uh, and then there was the sort of the visualisation bit for coping with those bigger things and the big storm that's coming and things. Um, and it just didn't work out like that. I thought that would be the most useful thing for me. I thought I'd really struggle with certain things. I thought that I'd get halfway across and be 1,500 miles away from the nearest piece of land and just freak out um, and, and need those techniques. And it, it, it wasn't those things that I struggled with. It was uh, you know, being annoyed with somebody because they were three minutes late, and that meant that I wasn't going to get 20 minutes sleep. I was going to get 17, and, and that was... You know, that sounds ridiculous to me now, but at the time, after 10 days of that, uh, you know, we're all just as guilty of that as anybody else, but it was those small niggles that built up and built up and built up and became the biggest challenge that I had to cope with on the whole crossing. Another part of that training, I think, was emphasised through the, the, the research and that piece around what is the purpose, a, a, a joint purpose and... I think that is such an important part of it. Certainly for me, I was the least motivated coming into it. I, it wasn't a, a, a dream of mine, a life goal to do it, uh, but it was really emphasised um, with our team psychologist around how important that was to get you through the hard times. Uh, and it certainly helped me to make sure that I had something, to, you know, I, I could answer the question why when everything else was telling me, uh, you know, to, to, to stop. I think there's also an acceptance that comes when you're out on the ocean that the quickest way you're going to get to Antigua is to keep bloody rowing, yeah. frankly. If you stop rowing, you're not going to get anywhere. So in a sense, the resilience comes from, comes from being resigned to your fate. <laughs> and the only way to avert your fate is to row harder and eat better and sleep better and you, that way you'll get across faster. So I don't know if there's such a thing, Caroline, is resilience and resignation but that's kind of how I think yeah. <laughs> I felt some of the time the only way it was going to happen get out of this hell was to get was to keep rowing I, I I definitely questioned how how well my mental health would be able to cope uh during this crossing uh I, I surprised myself I guess in both directions um it's it's given me a much uh much greater respect for people who are who are suffering suffering with their mental health uh, yeah, I think that's probably that's probably it. It's just you know, it's um, it can make a, be- a very big difference to to how people are living their lives and how they're coping with their lives. We, we've seen a bit of that over a fifty day period, uh, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have to spend my entire life suffering uh, with my mental health a lot more than a lot more than I do. So I think it's just given me a greater appreciation of how some. How some people have to cope uh, every day going through their lives, and and the importance of of the coping mechanisms and of being a team and of sharing and of talking and and of and of helping each other get through that. Fifty days I was on that boat, I was pretty much all right. I had ups and downs, and never like everybody else. But my mental health was was quite strong. When I got off the boat, my mental health went through the floor. And well, we're four months on. I'm still not fully recovered from that experience, and I think the lesson from that is uh, don't run ocean. <laughs> <laughs>